Nice. <laughs> now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Father, Lord, we pray you bless us now as we look at this. And uh, thank you for it, Lord. Guide our steps, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. No more strangers and foreigners. That's the first thing we're going to look at. Uh, and then we'll look at but fellow citizens with the saints. Here's the difference again explained one more time as far as the relationship goes. Paul explains in the simplest terms. You used to be strangers and foreigners. Thanks. I needed that. All right, watch me. Now, if I lose my breath here for a second, don't, don't be alarmed. Oh, yeah. That works. Garrick only takes like one of those, so I had to do like six to... I had, I had to do like Garrick, like... And, oh, by the way, and Jacob will not do one. Jacob, open your mouth. He, he's like, he's like I, I need something. I go, yeah, this, take it. Mr. Hot Peppers, yeah, and he won't even do that. I did take a dropper full of that cayenne, though. And I drank that down, that whole dropper full. Yeah. It'll grow hair back on your head. I don't know if you, <laughs> if you need it. I mean, it just started growing. It was, it's not working, Andrew? Well, it's working for me. Look, I just turns it white, but it's here. I don't know. You better drink some more, man. I don't know. Anyway, it's good stuff, isn't it? <clears throat> All right. You used to be strangers and foreigners, but now you are not. Strangers just can't walk in, right? Foreigners have no rights to anything in the country. So John Gill goes on to say, he says, by which the Jews called the Gentiles, meaning that they were not now strangers to God, to the grace of God, the love of God, and communion with him, nor to the throne of his grace, nor to Christ, to his person, his work, his office, his righteousness, to his voice, and to believing in him, nor to the Holy Spirit, as an enlightener, a comforter, the spirit of adoption, and as seal, and earnest of future glory, nor to their own hearts, the corruption and deceitfulness of them, nor to the devices of Satan, nor to the covenant of grace, its blessings and promises. They were now partakers of these. All of them were partakers of these in Christ. The church of God is compared to a city which has a variety of privileges, of rights, founded on regular charters and grants. These Gentiles, having believed in Christ, are all incorporated with the believing Jews in this holy city. Formerly, when any of them came to Jerusalem, they were strangers. They had no kind of rights whatsoever. Nor could they, as mere heathens that settled among them. That's how they were looked at. So Paul is talking about this one new body, one new man. Again, if any of them, but he explains it as a body. He explains it as a city. He explains it as a country. He explains it. He's explaining it in all the context for you to understand the way God looks at the saints. Amen. Again, if any of them convinced of the errors of the Gentiles acknowledged the God of Israel, but did not receive circumcision, he might dwell in the land of Israel, but he had no right to the blessings of the covenant. They were called sojourners, persons who have no property in the land and may only rent a house for the time being. Paul says it a different way, that at the time you were without Christ, he says it earlier on in Ephesians chapter 2, that verse number 12. He says that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant, covenants and of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of, Je of, of Christ. You see, the Jews looked at the Gentiles and all Gentile nations as strangers, aliens, and foreigners, not only to the nation of Israel, but to the covenants and the promises. They were just a bunch of heathens. Kind of like we look at the world and we just tell them, you're a bunch of heathens. Why? Because God calls them a bunch of heathens. 
You're either in Christ or you're a heathen. That's the way it works. I don't care how much of a civilized heathen you are, you're still a heathen. Some of the most wicked men you'll know are civilized heathens. They run the country. Amen. Yeah, they're a bunch of civilized heathens. Well, sort of, but yeah. Amen. That's what they are. This one new man and one new body is different. It is where Jew and Gentile alike will be. And they have access to the fodder. Father. Father. The fodder. There you go. And hang around Brooklyn people too much. <laughs> the city may be regarded either as the church on earth or the church in heaven. Right? They are equally the city of God, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It is a city strongly fortified with the walls and bulwarks of salvation, said one, and it is surrounded by a river of love which ministers to the wants of all its citizens. There God dwells in the midst of them. It is a city possessing glorious franchises and ordered government. It is not limited like the Jewish theocracy to one nation. It is not bounded by the frontiers of any land. It is the kingdom which is not of this world and destined ultimately to triumph over all other kingdoms. Christ's kingdom will one day triumph over all kingdoms. The Gentiles are no longer strangers in it, like those who have no home, no property, no privileges, no interests in common with its inhabitants. They are now naturalized citizens of the Christian commonwealth, living on terms of perfect equality with all the other members as to privileges, protection, and government. You know, Paul is preaching this to them. He's explaining to them the way it's looked at. You gotta understand that land meant everything to those Jews. Those covenants and everything they had, it meant everything to them. And for them not to, not to have that specialized treatment from God in that sense, that Jew and Gentile alike could have that, but only in a different way, spiritually, not, not physically. Because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my, then would my uh, people fight? Then would my disciples fight? They are thus brought into relation, not with the Jews, either of the present or the past. No, no, God did a new thing but with saints of all dispensations at all times for the church of God, which Jesus purchased with his own blood, does not date from that day of Pentecost, but covers the whole period of human history since the beginning of time. Now, what does that mean? What he's talking about is the church in heaven that is forming now. It's not practically formed in that sense yet, right? Because it's not right. The entire family of God. One day that will be one big church. <laughs> right? We'll talk about that in Hebrews. But right now, what is it? It's practically seen in bodies on this earth. And we'll all be together with the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. We'll all be together as one. But it's not yet accomplished. Amen? It's not yet there. But God is doing that work now. Those old theocratic distinctions, the abrogation of those old theocratic distinctions leaves a new community in which there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision nor uncircumcision. You are reckoned with the people of God. You are entitled to their privileges and are not to be regarded as outcasts and aliens. The meaning is that they belong to the same community, the same family as the people of God. They are all the family of God in heaven and earth. They were strangers before, foreigners, as opposed to citizens. You know, we see right now, we see the, the battle of... of uh, I believe, an orchestrated battle to, in the southern border to pour people through the southern border of all different nations. I believe that's most of that is designed for a takeover. But it's a planned takeover. And you're being sold out by the very people that are supposed to be protecting you. It's being done on purpose. It's, it's not and neither side is going to do what you think they're going to do. But what they are doing right now is ginning up a lot of anger. All these people are taking trucks to the border and they're, they're raising money and funds to go to the border and they're going to stand up and they're... What's that? The God's army. 
Yeah, God's army. Maybe I'll talk about that Friday. Yeah, God, God's army, and they're they're raising it up, and they're well. What are they What are they doing exactly? The Crusades. What What are they doing? What's What's this all about? It's about getting a right wing established government in place. So when they start putting down to give you reason to vote for somebody other than the Marxist. Right? But just remember, a strong fortified border to keep people out is also designed to keep you in. And to and to get people and to, and to attract people to go to Texas and these other these other states is also a design to round up everybody they want to where they want them. Oh, all the problem people came here. Okay. Boom. No more problem. That wouldn't happen. That's never happened before, has it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it has. It, it's actually part of the plan. You look. Do you? I, I'm not going to stay on this, but I will say this: since we're talking about strangers and foreigners and all these other things, this most of this is a setup. It is a setup. Is it real? Yeah, but it doesn't have to be fake for it to be a setup. It just has to be staged. Right, just like January 6th, right. They had to do something to get Trump off the scene so nobody talked about him for a while. And if you look back for about a year and a half, he was like in Ghostville out in, out in uh, Truth, uh, Truth Social, which nobody has. He goes on Twitter one time three months ago, and it has, it has 500 million views. Once. You don't think that's planned? Come on. Anyway. So it's, it's all being done on purpose. But strangers have no right to what you have, right? They're not, they're aliens, they're strangers. They're not. So countries have borders, right? They have things, uh, they, they, they do have those things. But uh, with these people, that when you get saved by the grace of God, you are brought into a new body, a new country. You're a citizen of a new country, right? If you're a stranger and a foreigner... You're not even allowed to transact any business in their own name. In Israel, they were bound to choose from among the citizens, one to whom's care they carried, they committed themselves as a patron. That was how it was in Greek antiquity too. If you weren't a, I mean, look at Paul. Paul was a member of, he was a, he was a Roman citizen. That afforded him certain rights. If there was a Greek dude that wasn't a Roman citizen or a Jew and he wasn't a Roman citizen and he got beat down, it wasn't anything. They, they could beat him down. But Paul looked at him and said, look, I'm a Roman citizen. You're not allowed to beat a Roman like that. And they go, whoa. We didn't know you were a Roman citizen. And they stopped. They said, okay, well, we, we, we can't do this. Why? Because they'd be charged because you couldn't beat him like that with, with him because he was a citizen. That man said, well, for a large sum of money, I obtained this. And he said, but I was born free. So proselytes who united themselves to the Jews were also called strangers. All foreigners were regarded as strangers and Jews only were supposed to have near access to God. But now, says the apostle, this distinction is taken away. Imagine, if you will, that Paul is explaining this to saved Jews for the first time. And the Gentiles, and they're receiving this. It was, absolute, it was absolutely moving to both parties. That they were one in Christ now. And they could be one now. They didn't have to be a member of the nation of Israel. They didn't have to be, they didn't have to be a Roman citizen. They, didn't have to be, they could have came from a heathen place. It didn't matter. They were saved by grace. They all trusted Christ as their Savior. They all entered into that one body of the local New Testament church, and they became members of that church. And, and they were members of, of heaven, right? They were citizens of heaven, a new country. It would be moving, wouldn't it? Now we move on to the positive. Next, they were called fellow citizens. Fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now we'll get to that household of God, but for right now, fellow citizens with the saints. New Testament believers are one with the saints of old in this sense. We are all citizens of heaven, citizens of God's eternal kingdom. 
When we were born again, we became, we became strangers and pilgrims to this world. When you get saved by the grace of God, then you're a stranger to the world now. Right? You're a, now you're a pilgrim here. You are a stranger in, to, to heaven and to God's kingdom. But once you get saved by grace, you're no longer a stranger to heaven. You're a stranger to this world. Because this world operates by the God of this world. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us that. that. That the world is ran by Antichrist. Its whole system is ran by that spirit of Antichrist. So now, when you go through this world, everything that you see makes no sense. I'm not, I don't agree with it. That's why we're all, people say like, well, you're always at war. Well, how could we not be? Everything they say is antichrist. Everything they do is antichrist. Right? So if I'm going to fight for a country, which country am I fighting for? This one or God's country? Heaven. Which one, which one, which one do I pledge allegiance to? God Almighty and his kingdom or this earthly kingdom? We all know where those kingdoms are headed. They're already showing that now. They hate God, they hate the Bible, and they stand against it. So we stand against them. We have to. To be a citizen of the Roman Empire had great advantages, right? And people paid large sums of money to obtain that citizenship. We find that out in Acts chapter 22, right? In more recent times, multitudes have risked life and limb to flee, to oppress, to flee from oppressive nations to seek citizenship here. They would go from all over the world to be a, a citizen here, to try to become a citizen here. Citizenship of heaven is worth infinitely more. And it is God's free gift to those who receive it. We are also members of God's household or family. Turn to Ephesians 2, 16. You're right there. You should be very close. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. This is the family of faith described in Hebrews chapter 11 and all Christians are first-class citizens. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working wherewith, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. One day perfection will come. One day we'll be there. Paul, as a citizen of Rome, he escaped whipping, right? We, as citizens with the saints, escape hell, tortures, and damnation. <laughs> We're called to the enjoyment of equal privileges with the saved Jews themselves, who by profession were a holy people who were bound to be holy and therefore often called saints or holy persons, when both their hearts and conduct were far from being right in the sight of God, but God still accepted them and forgave their sins. Again, it's important for you to understand, this is a fellow citizen, not of the earthly nation of Israel, but the new body, the new man in Christ. You better make that distinction very clear because the Augustine Calvin Popery teaching that we are, that, that we are uh, all Israel is a damnable kingdom building murdering system. And if you get that wrong and you think you're a, that America is a city on a shining hill, right? And that's the, that's the nation that you're trying to build, you're going to get your theology all messed up. Because Augustine taught a perverse theology that was damaging. First, he brought he popularized infant baptism by the end of his life. And among other things, he, he persecuted against the Donatist for their beliefs because he wanted to set up a kingdom. It teaches that that uh, that false kingdom are, are being a, a citizen of the earthly Israel that they think they're the replacement of 
teaches that we are to conquer. It is the same uh, teaching that teaches the supremacy of the Pope. Infant baptism and is leading to the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, which you are going to see probably in your lifetime. A most antichrist sentiment. A false kingdom that shall not stand but will be abolished by Christ himself. The Pope wants to be the king of the Jews. He wants to rule and reign over the Jews. Is that antichrist? The final one will do that. He'll build the temple. You better get your theology straight because Paul is teaching that we are fellow citizens in the church and in the household of God, which we will get to in a moment. But no, earth, not earthly Jerusalem. The Jews will go on to fulfill prophecy and build the third temple. They will go on for a time without their Messiah. They will be fooled and repent and have to get right with God. That's the full culmination of the Antichrist kingdom. The Pope leading the Jews to build a third temple so that he is as God, since the temple of God, saying he is God. This is yet to come. It will happen. They're already working on it now. They'll have that temple built faster than you could ever imagine. Right. He does already say he's God. But we the saints are fellow citizens, such who are saints by separation. And who are set apart by the Father's grace and imputation, or through Christ being made sanctification to them. That is that regenerating grace of Almighty God to save your soul and to make you a new creature. These, as they have a right to a name and a place in the church on earth, have also their citizenship in heaven, in which they have not by birth nor by purchase, but by the free grace of Almighty God. We didn't earn anything. Jesus paid it all. But that gives us both a right and a meekness, and believing Gentiles are upon equal foot of grace and privilege with believing Jews. There's no difference. Those that are in Christ, those that are saved in Christ. This he mentions by way of opposition to what he had observed of them in their heathenism. They were now no longer aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, no longer what the Jews were, want to account all the nations of the earth besides themselves. But fellow citizens of the household of God, that is, members of the church of Christ, having a right to all privileges of it. So many of God's people live beneath their privileges because they do not know what their privileges are. They don't read about them. They don't study what God has for them. Instead of thinking about how bad your life is, do you ever think about how good it is to be saved? Do you ever think about how the privileges and the blessings that God has given you? Do you ever meditate on the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance? Do you ever think about the things that God has awaiting for us in heaven? Do you ever think and ponder on those things? Do you ever focus your mind and heart on, on those things that are uplifting, that will strengthen you and make you a better Christian? When you look forward and you trust God and you're thankful for all that he's done for you, why do you live so much in the now, in the present of distresses, and not in the future reward that you have waiting for you? What God has given you to encourage you along the way, that you're already seated in heavenly places in Christ. Do you even know what that means? Do you even think about what that means? Do you even care what that means? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about those blessings of God? Those privileges that you have in Christ? So many people, when they get saved at times, if they don't, if everything is not going right, the first thing they're thinking about is all the things that they don't do anymore or that they can't do anymore or the things that they're waiting on in this life and desiring to have in order to fulfill their existence here on this earth for 70 to 80 years before they're gone. They never think about what they have now in Christ and enjoy the blessings of God now. Are, do you really believe that God said all this to you and explained all this to the Ephesians so they just had so they could just think about it in the end of their life or, or when they go to heaven and not to enjoy those things now? You're supposed to enjoy the reality of those things now. You're supposed to meditate on those things now. You're supposed to think on those things now to strengthen you, to encourage you. 
But if you don't, what happens? You think about your present struggles, the present trials that you have. That's what you think about. The things that are difficult now, the things that you're going through now, the, the, tr the struggles that you have, the things that you have. Instead of seeing them as a denying of the flesh and taking up your cross and following Christ, you act like a whip puppy. Instead of kings and priests to your God. That's what he said. He made us kings and priests. Fellow citizens in heaven. Already seated in heavenly places. God already reckons you there. That's why he commands that your conversation be there. And you know what you say to yourself? Well, I don't feel like it. Well, who cares what you feel like? Whoever takes the word of God and looks at it and says, well, you know, it really determines what I feel about that. Really? Where does it say that? Where does it say that everything is determined about how I feel about something? What a miserable way to live. You want to talk about bondage. If I'm a slave to my emotions and my feelings, I'm in bondage. That's pure bondage. That's absolute. That, that God, never, God never wanted you to be. Look, we're talking about here, we're talking about uh, being fellow citizens with Christ in heaven, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Having the blessings of God already reckoned to be there now. Fellow citizens with the saints. Those that went on before. Already there that went on to receive their reward. And we are reckoned with them in that number. We are also called the household of God. Amen. That's what he says in Ephesians. He tells us that you are the household of God. Not only have they been supernaturalized into the divine kingdom, they've been adopted into the divine family. We as church-age believers are fellow citizens with the redeemed of all ages. With Adam and Eve, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Job, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Miriam, Joshua, Samson, Gideon, Deborah, Samuel, Ruth, Boaz, David, Jeremiah, Josiah, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph, Simeon and Anna. Within that kingdom and that family are various groups of saints, including the true Israel and the church. The groups or bodies are, are in one, are one in certain ways, but they are also distinct in others, right? They're the Old Testament saints. They're a little bit different, right? But we're all one in heaven, we will be. We're all counted. We're named among the saints, whether it be Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, end time saints, whatever. All reckoned there as the household of God. God as a house. In my Father's house are what? Many mansions. Amen. There are many mansions in God's house. The church is not the same as body as Israel. It was a rare privilege in Old Testament times to be born into a Hebrew family, to be a child of Abraham and an heir of the covenants of God. Now, though, by virtue of the new birth, both Jew and Gentile become full-fledged members of God's family. Amen. They are Abraham's true spiritual descendants by faith. With faithful Abraham. Amen. They are Abraham's true spiritual. You notice he doesn't say physical descendants. Right? He says spiritual. Heirs of the new covenant. 
children of the living God. Do you ever think of yourself like that? That you're to, you're to reflect your father's love, you're to reflect your father's wishes, you're to, you're to walk as a child of God. That God is your father. Do you live like God is your father? That the, that the, that, that the father of, uh, of uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that Christ is our brother, our elder brother, born for adversity, right? <laughs> that you and I are children of God. That we have a father in heaven and our conduct should show that. Amen. That we should act and we should walk like it. We should conduct ourselves in this life as children of God. They are Abraham's true spiritual descendants, heirs of the new covenant, children of the living God, members of his household, and brothers and sisters in the royal family of heaven. That's us. Those that are born again, those that have trusted Christ as their Savior. Now think about this. The church is compared to a city. And every converted sinner is free of it. It is also compared to a house. And every converted sinner is one of the domestics, one of the family, a servant and a child in God's house. In my Father's house are many mansions. We are one of the family. And we have the Spirit of God within us. When we are saved by grace and God's Spirit is inside of us, and when His Spirit is inside of us, we take on His attributes. We start to act like our Father in heaven. The more we conform to the image of Christ, the more we are conformed to the image of Christ, the more we are surrendered. Maybe the problem is, is that you're not surrendered. Amen. You know what a lack of surrender leads to? A lack of sobriety in your walk when you're not surrendered to God. That's why the Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Can't fight the devil if you're not surrendered to God. If you've never submitted to God, if you don't live submitted to God, we are to live a life of submission. We are living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I talked about this. I talked about it a year ago. I talked about it today on my broadcast a little bit too. When I talked about worldliness is not just, is not something you do. Worldliness is a mindset. It isn't just, well, should I go to this sodomite wedding? Well, if somebody is surrendered and submitted to God and their mind is renewed every day, they wouldn't even ask that question. It's just nonsense. If you've been renewed by the spirit of your mind in the scriptures, if you're renewed by the word of God, if your mind is being transformed daily, the world is constantly trying to conform you. And the Bible is, con God's word is constantly transforming us, right? So the more we read it, the more we're transformed. But we've got to be surrendered. There's like no question in a child of God that's surrendered to God whether they should go to a wedding like that or they should partake in things like that. Well, of course not. That's not thinking with the mind of Christ. In all that you do, you're to think with the mind of Christ. So in your actions, in what you do, you're to think like Christ. So then your decision-making process is filtered through Christ. And then we cast down imaginations in every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And we bring those thoughts into captivity into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Not, be, not a one-line matter. Not, well, should I do this or should I do that? But a way of life. Worldliness is a mindset. If you're worldly, it's because your entire outlook is worldly and you're allowing your, your, your mind to be conformed to the world because you're not surrendered to God. When a person sells out and is surrendered to God, they have no problem with obeying God and knowing what His will is. You know people that walk in confusion? I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to make it real simple for you. You listen? Real simple. This isn't even part of the sermon. We'll do overtime here. All right, right, Vin? We'll do overtime. All right. Vin likes paying for overtime, don't you, Vin? He's all right with it. Amen. But here's the idea that I want you to understand with that. If you are surrendered to God, you will not be confused.
You know, people that are confused, they're not surrendered. Christian people that walk around in a state of confusion are Christian people that are not surrendered. They're double-minded. Amen. They're double-minded. I see it in marriages. I see it between husbands and wives. Husbands, I see them being double-minded. Wives, I see them being double-minded. Other Christians, I watch them being double-minded in all their ways. And they, they, can't, they can't walk that straight and narrow because it's a narrow road. And if you're double-minded, you ain't going to walk it you're double-minded. That's why the Bible warns us about being double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know when marriages start working and people start, start growing and, and grace is when they stop being double-minded and they surrender to God and they say, you know what? It ain't going to be the way I always want it to be, but I'm going to surrender to God anyway and I'm going to obey him and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be the husband that I'm supposed to be or I'm going to be the wife that I'm supposed to be. I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. Now stop being double-minded. Guess what happens? The confusion goes away. Confusion comes from double-mindedness. Confusion comes from people that are not surrendered. Christians ought never to be confused about what God expects from them. It's very plain and simple. God didn't make it a mystery. It's not some kind of Masonic order where God's given secret handshakes and signals from heaven. God makes it very clear. He gave you a book. He made it so you can understand it. If you're confused by it, it's probably because you're not obeying the clear light that you've been given. Because you don't want to. You're stubborn. And when you're stubborn like that, guess what? You don't grow. You're double-minded. And you're like, oh, what am I supposed to do? I think it's pretty simple. God tells you how to find the will of God and stay in it your whole life. Romans chapter 12, he tells you right there. That you may prove. What is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? And those aren't three different wills. It's one. Those aren't, that's not a three, that's not a three-headed road with different options. Well, this way's the good way, this way's the acceptable way, and this way's the, uh, what is it, the perfect, yeah, perfect. <laughs> that's nonsense. That's what you call fundy garbage right there. That's a big load of fundy right there. You got fundied when somebody told you that, oh, see, there's the good will, and there's the perfect will, there's the acceptable will, and then there's the perfect will. Uh, that, that's talking about all the same thing. If it's good, it's acceptable. <laughs> oh, that's bad. <laughs> and they got paid for that. <laughs> they, they not only got paid for it, they paid for somebody to teach them that. They had to learn that in Bible school because you don't learn that anywhere else but a fundy Bible school teaching you to run bus routes all day and not learn your Bible. That's where you learn that stuff at. Plain and simple, you learn, that's where you learn that. Biggest bunch of nonsense you ever heard in your life. What do you mean there's three different wills of God? Well, there's the good, and then there's the acceptable, and then there's the perfect. And Pick a road, any road. Pick a will, any will. Right? You ever heard that before, Garrick? You've heard that, right? Somebody say that. The good, well, there's the good. There's... And you sit there and you're... That hurts to even hear. Like, my brain hurts from that. But that's what they teach. Why? Well, then they can justify, con they can justify false converts by that. Because people that never obey the Lord, never want to follow God, never want to never grow in grace, never want to do right, they could stay in their church and they can still keep giving and do all the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. This is why I stay here most of the time. <laughs> What's that? Calendar's full. <laughs> it's all right. I got enough work to do. I'm not without anything to do. Believe me. I never sit. I told my son, that I don't sit around wondering, like, what am I going to do today? Like, can I fit this in today? Can I fit this? It's like, no, my everything's like, well, when am I going to stop? That's pretty much what it's like. When am I going to stop doing stuff today? Not really like, uh, you know, um, what am I going to do? I never sit around like, oh, I don't have anything to do today. Oh, I got plenty to do. Amen. Plenty more to do till I'm dead. Amen. Hopefully that's a long time, but we'll see. The way I'm going, who knows? Um, all right. The house of God is also the temple. The temple was a type of the Christian church. This has now become God's house. All genuine believers are considered as being part of his house. 
the children and servants of God Almighty, having all equal rights, privileges, advantages, as all through one spirit, by the sacred head of the family, equal access to God. And each might receive as much grace and as much glory as his soul could possibly contain. You realize that nobody here has more access to God than, than anybody else. I'm not, I'm not a, a Roman Catholic priest that pretends like I can get a hold of God quicker than you can. Now, I pray for you when you ask me to pray for you. I do. I hope you pray for me when I ask you to pray for me. Rebecca's laughing at that. I don't know why she's just like, I just forgot. I forgot to pray for you. I'm sorry. But I mean, I hope you, I hope you pray for me, right? I do. But I'm not going to get a hold of God any sooner than you are. We all have access, right? God answers our prayers. We have access to God because of Jesus. Now, the household of God is also sometimes called the household of faith. The church of God consisting of believers in Christ, the family in heaven and in earth named of Christ, in which family or household God is the Father. Christ is the firstborn, ministers are stewards, and here are saints of various growth and size. You know, the Bible talks about that. John talked about that, right? There are some fathers, there are some young men, there are some children in the faith, right? He talked about them. John said that the young men, right? He exhorted the young men. He exhorted the fathers. He exhorted the different groups of people that were in the church, the, the elder women, right? He exhorted them. To, to follow the Lord and to be faithful to God. There's different, in a house, there's, there's different roles like that. Whether they are Jew or Gentile, there's some children in the family, all believers belong, whether Gentiles or Jews, in which they come into, not by birth nor by merit, but by the grace of Almighty God. We don't earn anything. Amen. You're not just born into this world a Christian. So was it, well, somebody told, was it you, Jacob, you said, I don't know who it was. Somebody told you they were, well, I was just always, I was always a Christian. They told you that? Yeah, it was a, it was a post on Facebook that he was looking at. This guy's like, well, I was always a Christian. He's like, uh, no, you weren't. Uh, no, you weren't. Yeah, maybe his name was Christian. That's right. That's probably it. <laughs> Could be. Could be. Right? But he wasn't always a child of God. There's a time when you're lost and the time when you're saved. Amen. God makes it very clear, right? Ephesians 3, 14 to 15. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The whole family in heaven and earth. Right? We got older ones that have went on before us. The whole family. That's God's family in heaven and in earth. Amen? So what's that tell you? They, they, that's not the church. He calls it the family. The whole family in heaven and earth. It's all the saints. Right? In heaven and earth. The whole family. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. He talks about that up in heaven one day. What's going on right now and what will go on in the future as well. Hebrews 12, 18. For you're not coming to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. What happened? That's Sinai. Right? That's when God descended on the mount. The mount was black with the fire that burned the, the mount, right? The holiness of God that was there, God's presence there. By the way, I have a question for you. When you view God, when you view uh, your relationship with God, are you viewing it like Mount Sinai? Is that how you look at God in heaven? In that sense, I mean? the fire and the smoke and the, and the, the law being given like that? Or do you view, view him as a loving father that loves you, that, is, that, that, 
that uh, the atonement has been made for your sins. That yes, God is holy, but the atonement has been made for your sins. And you're at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or do you just view God as some bully up in heaven that's getting ready to knock you down? I really fear sometimes that people view God that way. His own people do. They look at God like he's ready to punish them. Like God can never be pleased. Good. Huh. Well, that's something to think about, isn't it? Do you look at God like he can never be pleased? Because let me give you some good news. He's already pleased. (laughs) Because the atonement was made. (laughs) You're right. You can't please God. You don't have to. He's already pleased in Christ. I've pleased him in Christ already. That doesn't make me want to live a wicked life. It makes me want to live a holy one that honors him. That's not preaching a gospel of lasciviousness. It's not turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. It means that I understand my place in Christ, that I am, that I am a child of God, and that the atonement has been made. There is no enmity. It's been destroyed. So when I go to my father, I don't sheepishly go to my father in heaven as if I'm scared to to approach him. When the door's already been opened and Christ already ushered me in. Amen. You know, (laughs) if I think too much about it, I'll think, do they get what I'm saying right now? Are they getting it? Or does it make sense to them? You just don't see things from my point of view. I'll, I'll, I'll put a mirror up here sometime. You just watch yourself. I'll just put a mirror up here sometime and let you all watch yourselves. What in the... I wouldn't do that to you, by the way. But, I won't say I'm not tempted. Especially if you had to look at you, then you'd, you'd be like, man, that's hard to preach to. I know. I did it all the time. I've been doing it for 17 years. You try preaching to you for 17 years and watch it. The looks you give. <laughs> you think people on the street can give you looks. Baptists can give you some really good looks. Right? That's all right, though. Be not afraid of their terror. <laughs> he said, don't be afraid of their looks. <laughs> For you're not come, but how do you look at God? How do you view God like that? If you view God like you're approaching Mount Sinai, you're you're <laughs> you got the wrong perception. You, you got the wrong understanding. You're on the other side of the law, brother. <laughs> right? The law is for the lawless, right? Not for the saint. Grace is the saint's teacher which goes beyond the law. For you are not coming to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are coming to Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That blood that speaketh better things. Redemption. The saints are the chosen ones of all time. But ye are come unto Mount Zion. The name, their names are engraven on the, the same civic roll with all whom the Lord shall count when he reckoneth up of the people. 
It is as if they who dwelt in the waste and the howling wilderness scattered defenseless and in a melancholy isolation had been transplanted to Mount Zion. And were located now in the metropolis not to admire its architecture or gaze into the, upon its battlements or envy the tribes who had come up to worship in the city which is compact together, but to claim its municipal immunities, to experience its protection, obey its laws, live in love in its happy society, and hold communion with its glorious founder and guardian. And members of the household of God, a near relation to God and a higher privilege is denoted here. You are not guests or occasional visitors, but permanent dwellers in the house and the members of the family. Those whose citizenship is in heaven, they are told not to mind earthly things, but to think of the Savior who is to be revealed with transforming power in the final resurrection. The laws of heaven are to be our guide on earth. Our calling is therefore a high calling. This is the true household of faith. Galatians chapter 6. chapter here. Never mind, scratch that one. <laughs> it's a good verse, but not the one we need. It is God for a father. This relation is more tender than that of a civil ruler. And therefore, we are more than fellow citizens of the saints. We are children of God by faith in Christ. Do you ever meditate on that? what it means to be a good son or daughter to God. You should. It has God for a father, right? Christ is the firstborn and elder brother, a brother born for adversity, allied to us by the dearest ties of his sacrifice and his sympathy. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. a large family the whole family in heaven and earth we enter this family by grace it is a separated family its members divided by time and space opinion and feeling but all the members will be at last brought home to the house of many mansions the holy place not made with hands which our savior has gone before to prepare a place for us we are members of this household. We are not guests eventually leaving or going forth again. The blessing of Abraham having come upon the Gentiles, Galatians 3.14 tells us. They have been born again. They have become children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. They have become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Do you consider yourself a joint heir with Christ? Do you ever think about that? being clothed with the beautiful garments of salvation. They shall go no more out, for they have received an, an eternal inheritance. It's a position of privilege. It ought to make us jealous of our Father's honor, mindful of our Father's guidance, loving in all our relations to the members of that great household, and studiously careful to promote its harmony and prosperity. We should want to see more saved. We should want to see more come to the Lord. We should, want to, we should have a desire to walk worthy of that vocation wherewith we have been called. All of us. We should have that desire. We should meditate on those things. We should focus on those things. Do you? Do you think about being part of that household of God? A fellow citizen of heaven? You ought to learn something about heaven since you're going there someday. You might want to think about it, meditate on it. You know, we meditate a lot on hell before we're saved. <laughs> Sometimes after we're saved. 
But how much do we meditate on heaven? How much do we meditate on where we're going instead of where we've been? How much of your life is meditating on your past and where you were and not your future of where you're going? How many of you just literally make yourself miserable over your past? What profit is there in that? What profit is there in you thinking about everything in the past? Past wrongs that people have done you? Past wrongs you've done? Past sins that you've committed? Shaping your whole future by the things you think about in the past? By the things you allow to consume you from the past? that you allow them to take you and to consume you, why would you waste your time on that? Do you believe that's profitable time? Sometimes when you get in the rat race of life and, and your thoughts get taken and your mind starts to take you, you start to circular reason and you start to be like a squirrel on a wheel and you just keep running. You just keep running and running and running on that wheel. But what you have to see that is when you're doing that, no matter if it's a mental issue or not, you have to see that that's a sin to do that. It's a sin for me to continually look back instead of forward. It's a sin for me to look behind me. What happened to Lot's wife when she looked behind? Again, you can't run a race looking behind you. If we are fellow citizens of heaven, we should be looking towards that city we are going to. You are running a race to meet Christ. You, you will never run a race effectively by looking behind you. And it is an absolute lack of faith to do so. Why? Because you're not accepting the forgiveness of God. You're not accepting the, the new life in Christ, but you're turning around and looking at every mistake and every sin and everything, having, let, allowing it to have a crippling effect on you to destroy you and to hurt your presence. So you squander precious time that could be spent doing something else for God in living in the past. It's a sin. One of the worst ones that I fear we'll answer for is how much we, we wasted our time looking backwards right? How, how much time we've spent doing that and not enough time on looking to the future, which is what we're supposed to do, right? Philippians 3, we'll close with this. An admonition from a man by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that understood full well what it was like to have a history, have a past, right? He says in verse number 10 in Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, Either we're already perfect. What is he talking about? Mature. I'm not there yet. But I follow after. This is active. It is extremely lazy for Christians to turn around and analyze their past to a crippling point. It's lazy behavior. Why? That keeps you from moving forward. You could build up all kinds of excuses by looking in the past. Oh man, you could just cripple yourself. Then you don't have to do anything. You just sit there and sit and cry. Right? You not only squander your future, you squander everyone else's around you. Not being used of God, but wasting your life a sin. See, you think it's the sin back there that you've got to be concerned with. 
the one that you've already asked for forgiveness for? Oh, I need to be concerned with that. No, no, you better be concerned with the sin you're committing right there by wasting the precious time that God has given you, by looking back and, and exercising a lack of faith, not believing God. That's, that's what you ought to be concerned with. That's the sin you ought to be paying attention to. Not, not the one thing back there in the back that you feel as if is the most horrible thing of all. No, the most horrible thing of all is to waste the present. Because <laughs> you can never get the time back you're wasting. So you just keep wasting it. You allow it to sour your future. It's evil. It's a waste of time. But I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do. This one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth unto those things which are before. There's no neutral in the Christian life. You're either forgetting those things which are behind and you're reaching forth unto those things which are before or you're not. But there is no neutral. Like, there's no neutral in that. Like, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not, no, no, you are. You're, if you're not reaching forth, then you're not forgetting those things which are behind. You're not pressing. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's forward. The mark is Christ. The crown. Let no man take thy crown. Pressing forward. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect. Is he talking about sinless? Is that what he's talking about? He's saying as many as there as be perfect. No, he's talking about mature. See, this is a spiritually mature response. This is maturity. You know how many people get stuck on things that happen, even in a church or wherever it is, stuck on things that happen. They get so sour by it that they never press on. What is that? It's immaturity. You want to know the real test of your spiritual character? Listen to me. Everyone listen to me. You want to know the real test of your spiritual character? What it takes to stop you. What it takes to stop you from serving God. What excuses you accept to stop you from serving God? That's the test of your, that's the test of your spiritual walk. That's the test of your spiritual character. What, is it, what does it take to stop you? That's the real test. That's what Paul is saying here. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, mature. That's a mature outlook. I'm not going to waste my life looking behind me. Be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. God's going to show you. Well, you're just being immature. See, there are people in a, in, in a church that there are things that they can't handle. That's why I don't tell everybody everything. You couldn't handle it. <laughs> just... Make you want to pull your hair out. <laughs> right? You, you couldn't, so I don't tell you. Well, and you don't need to know anyway. But it's not important in that sense. Some things. Not important. For you. And it wouldn't be good for your growth. So I don't tell you. Wouldn't be good. Oh, everybody should be able to handle No, no, everybody can't. No. No, no. I've seen it. I've made that mistake. Too much openness, believe me. <laughs> Too much. 
Not good. Not good in that sense. So God showed me that. That wasn't it. But I'll tell you something. What, what he's saying here is, is that, is that maturity, maturity will, spiritual maturity is shown by what it takes to stop you. What makes you want to give up? In anything, your marriage, your life, your walk, whatever it is. What makes you want to give up? It shows our immaturity. Because Paul, he's constantly telling you, you got to press forward. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk, so as you have us for an example. He's saying you got to press on. You've been given, you've already been given all these, these blessings in Christ. Privileges. Blessings. Explained in so many different ways in Ephesians chapter 2. What are you doing with them? Father, Lord, thank you. Help us, Lord, to walk by that same rule, to mind that same thing, to have the mind of Christ. Lord, help us to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For we know that our labor is not in vain. Lord, I pray for those that are here that are not saved, that they're lost and dead in their sins. They've never trusted Christ. Lord, break their hearts tonight. Bring them to repentance and faith. Fill them with your spirit. Help them receive the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and have a changed life and live for you and be of the household of faith. Lord, those that are of the household of faith, help us to stand fast in the faith, to be strong, to trust you, to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Lord, help us to press forward. Help us not to look back. Help us not to get sunk behind. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.